0: chance to go back to Tallahassee. I had several reasons to go up there, not the least of which was to attend the funeral for a friend. But on the ride home, you know, that long stretch from Tallahassee to I-75, that 90 miles of not a lot, um, I had the chance to think about this sermon. Think about the Bible and what is it that we think about the Bible And then I turned the corner on I 75, and I was just a few miles on I 75 heading south, and I saw a big billboard, big as day, and it said, Read the Bible. And I thought, Okay, God, I am listening. (laughs) And then I continued to read it, and it said, Read the Bible. It will scare the hell out of you. so then I thought, oh my goodness, is that really what people get out of reading the Bible? Does it scare them to behave a certain way or is it a loving response to God's grace in Jesus Christ for us? And then I quickly remembered a time when I had read the Bible and it scared the heck out of me. Now, I will admit it was an uninformed reading of the Bible and I was very young. I was, um, when I was in junior high, my best friend's name was Cheryl, and Cheryl uh, was a very active member in the Assemblies of God Church, and I grew up in the Presbyterian Church, so we had some different theologies of life, and we loved going to each other's church because it was just fascinating to both of us, but on my 14th birthday, I had a bunch of girls come over, and we camped out in the backyard. It was a wonderful time. But about 11 p.m., when we're all nicely tucked in the tent, we decided to crack open the book of Revelation. (laughs) Cheryl was leading the discussion. (laughs) And before long, we started discussing Christ's imminent return, and then we quickly moved to the part about making sure that no one got the mark of the beast, which would be like a 666 on your forehead or your right hand. Now, there was one Jewish gal among us, and we were particularly giving emphasis to this part, so she wouldn't get the mark. I have to admit, it's a wonder we're still friends, (laughs) because every time I go back to the high school reunion, I think of this night. So a little bit later, we turn to chapter 16, which says, see, I am coming like a thief. Quietly, stealthily, we're imagining Blessed is the one who stays awake and is clothed, not going about naked and exposed to shame. Well, at least we were all clothed. <laughs> and we tried so very hard to stay awake. We tried all night to stay awake. But invariably, we all of us, everyone, fell asleep. The next morning, we woke up scared. We ran into the house to see if anyone else was left behind because we were certain the rapture had happened that night. And we got into the kitchen, and there were my parents. My parents, too? I was so heartbroken. And there they were, fixing us breakfast. Frying eggs, flipping pancakes, and frying bacon. And with that, Cheryl whispers in my ear, Leviticus eleven seven, the pig is unclean for you. Oh, their flesh you shall not eat, and their carcass you shall not touch. They are unclean for you. Friends, truly, this was starting out to be a very bad year <laughs> and an horrible day. But looking back over that whole night and that whole experience of reading this text, I realize now that we were reading the Bible wrong. But back then, I didn't have the words to say that. Today, we are in the fourth week of a sermon series entitled, Short Answers to Big Questions. And we're trying to give some answers to these big questions of the faith. For we realize that faith is not simple, but it can be portable. So during this whole sermon series, we hope that you will ponder and explore your own faith and be encouraged to share it with others, to be encouraged to explore it a little more deeply. Today, we're looking at the Bible and some of the truths that it holds. Would you pray with me? Oh, gracious and loving God, we thank you for this chance to Hear your word proclaimed and to think about its truth for us. We ask now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts would be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, about 10 years ago, I attended a workshop and heard a definition of the Bible which has become my favorite. The speaker was Reverend Bill Barnes, a recently retired senior pastor from St. Luke's United Methodist over in Orlando. And Bill said this, The Bible is the progressive revelation of God as understood by a particular group of people, first the Jews and then those who identified themselves as Christians. And if we pay attention as we study the scriptures, we can see a progression in Jewish tradition and history and custom and theology, all of it that culminates into the life and teaching of Jesus. So to unpack that definition, he had us open up our Bibles to Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. And it says, long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many and varied ways by the prophets But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he created all the worlds. He is the reflection of God's glory and the exact imprint of God's very being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. So hear that again. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors in many ways through the prophets And in the last days, He has spoken to us by a son, the reflection of God's glory, the very imprint of God's very being. So the Bible helps us know God and God's relationship with and intention for humanity and shows us that the best way we know God is by knowing God's son, by the reflection of God's glory, Emmanuel, God with us, the word made flesh. Jesus Christ. So in this lecture, Bill continued, it's often when we read those difficult parts of the Old Testament, those violent parts, those parts where God seems to be acting in unpredictable and angry judgmental ways, when we read those, we are confused. And some people think of the Old Testament as the God of judgment and the New Testament as the God of love. But that doesn't seem right because scripture teaches that the nature of God is unchanging. In Malachi, it says, For I, the Lord, do not change. And Jesus told his disciples in the Gospel of John, Whoever has seen me has seen my Father. And in Hebrews, he clearly states, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if God doesn't change... And if Jesus, who was present and active at creation, does not change, then what has changed? Our human understanding of the nature of God has changed over time. We have changed. God has not. And in the fullness of time, God revealed his divine nature in the only way that we could really get it, in Jesus. So the Bible shows us who God is, and God is most fully recognizable in Jesus Christ. So, what else do we believe about this book? Well, for Christians, for us, this is our book. This is our sacred text. It's our authoritative word for our living this day. We say that it is unique and it is inspired by God. The Spirit has blown its breaths through it, and it speaks with authority. It is a collection of testimonies of faith that have been passed down from generation to generation. You might recall that the printing press didn't, you know, wasn't around way back then when Moses was around. And so these stories were told in oral tradition. They were told so clearly and so often that everyone knew the stories. But there came a point when they were written down, first on like uh, papyrus paper, or it certainly wasn't notebook, you know, wide ruled lined notebook paper. So they were told uh, from generation to generation and written down, uh, written many years ago. It was a book that is also from other cultures and written in several languages. And it has been the experience through the ages that the Bible is easy to misunderstand. Now, I don't just mean some schoolgirls sleeping in the tent looking at the book of Revelation, but the Bible has been misunderstood, and that misunderstanding has been turned into misuse, and that has hurt people through the years because the misuse of the Bible has defended things like racism and sexism and anti-Semitism, among other things, through the years. So it can be misunderstood, and it needs to be studied together in community, So we say that this uniquely authoritative book points us to God and this Bible is really more like a library than one book because even though we put it together in one book, there are 66 individual books that make up the Old and New Testaments. So it needs to be studied in community so that we can hear and understand the interpretations of others and it keeps us honest in the process. That's why here at Hyde Park, one of our six core values is that we are biblically rooted. That means we take seriously the study of the Bible using different tools of devotion and scholarship. Today in your bulletin, Matt Hotho, our Director of Adult Discipleship, has put together a resource for reading and understanding the Bible— there's just a few books on here that might be worth uh, getting to have in your own personal library or taking a look at them. I believe they're over in the church library in the bride's room. So why is this important? Why is it important to know what we believe about the Bible? Because what we believe about the Bible has implications for our faith and the way we live our lives. What we believe about the Bible has implications for our faith and the way we live our lives. If I think that God is a God of judgment, that's one way of looking at the world. If I think that God is a God of love and grace and hope and encouragement, a God who gave his very self for me, then I'm going to live my life a little differently knowing that I'm forgiven and I'm called to forgive others and live as a forgiven child. Now, sometimes people ask us, well, do we take the book literally? I mean, is it all fact or is it just all metaphor? Well, we say the book is inspired. We say that even though um, it wasn't written down at first, eventually when it was written down on these big scrolls, it was lots of us hard work. Hard work to get pen to paper or pen to papyrus. And occasionally there might have been a smudge And in Hebrew, if you, like, leave off a vowel, it kind of changes the whole meaning of the word. So there are a few errors, boo-boos, mistakes, differences in translation that are in the scripture. And when we compare them to other texts, it's important to help us understand the full gospel. Um, I mean, they did their best, but occasionally there are some mistakes in the translation. Frederick Buechner has a great illustration about... He compares the Bible to a window. And he said that, you know, we look through the window out there to see this beautiful world. But as we're looking at the window, we notice that... Oh, remember that time, Bill, you threw the football and you cracked the window? or Oh, there's some smudges on the window. And just because the window's not perfect, we don't throw out the window. No, we look through the window to the wider world that God has created. So the Bible helps us look, as we look at those pages, we see and we know God better because of this book that we have been given, this inspired book. So some would say that, well, if there's any incorrect part of it, then it invalidates the whole thing, but I don't think so. For I love the fact that there are differences of opinion in there. I mean, take the four Gospels, for instance, There are four individual writers who talk about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They talk about his story, but they're all told from a different point of view. They're all truth, but they proclaim it differently. Years ago, when we were living in Miami, uh, on a spur of the moment, our family decided to go to Jacksonville to see my four siblings, their families, and my parents. And we decided we'd have a birthday party for my mom. It was near her birthday. And it was her 70th birthday. And so the family got together. We even hired a line dancer to come and dance. That was really fun. And we had a big dinner. And afterwards, my mom said, why would you have such a big party for me this year? And we said, Mom, you're turning 70. And she said, I'm only 69. (laughs) Like I said, we quickly pulled it together, and if you ask any of my siblings, they would have a different interpretation on how we chose that date and that year, and it just happened. It just happened that way. Now, we could say that that invalidates the whole thing, that mom wasn't respected or loved because we had the date wrong. But I think it's kind of charming and very special because my mother knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that her family loved her and cherished her and we all knew that we had a wonderful time at this party. So for me, I love the fact that the Bible is just a little bit messy and complicated. I think it makes it even more true to have all the nuances. I like it that in the Bible there are families and individuals who are described who are quite outrageous and odd and families that are, well, a little bit dysfunctional sometimes. I mean, they're a mess. They're kind of like my family. They're kind of like me. I like that because when I read those stories, I realize that there's place for me in the gospel story and there's a place for you. There's a place for all of us for it is our ongoing story with God. So those who read the text as an infallible word, I think those folks are reducing it merely to facts. For them, the scriptures are just facts about God. That's all they want to know are the facts. There's no room for mystery. There's no room for majesty. There's no room for anything more. Just the facts. But if we read the scriptures for just the facts, then that seems to limit God. In fact, it makes God kind of small, tiny. My God is much bigger than that. I'm not saying that truth is the denial of fact. The Bible doesn't do that. But I am saying that some truth is larger than the facts. The facts are not wrong. They're just not big enough. We don't have all of them. There's more. So when people ask if Methodists take the Bible literally, is it fact or metaphor? One way to speak about it is that we believe the Bible is inspired and we take the Bible very seriously, but not literally. Do you think Jesus took all the, all the scrolls literally? I've wondered about that in thinking of this text. I mean, if he did... Then what do you do with verses like this? In Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, it says an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus comes along and says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you that you must not oppose those who want to hurt you. And A few verses down, he continues, you have heard it said that you must love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who harass you. The text that we read a little bit earlier, that Gray read for us, says that all Scripture is inspired by God. It is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. So the first thing we should notice is that it says Scripture is useful. It does not say it's infallible or without error or the sole authority. But useful. And the second thing we notice, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for showing our mistakes, for correction, for training in righteousness. We could all use a little lesson in righteousness these days in our world. Friends, it's not a history book. It's not a scientific textbook. It's not even the last word on everything under the sun. It is a guide our living as people of faith. We value the contributions of scholarship, which help us better understand the truths that are held in the Bible. And the scholarship helps us know God better as well. So we study the Bible and I would encourage you to take an in-depth Bible study, something like disciple or covenant or manna and mercy when they're offered next because studying the Bible helps us understand The larger gospel story, the larger story of God's love and grace and relationship with you and with humanity. And it helps us to grow in our faith when we study the Bible. So there's one more solidly Wesleyan point I want to make, and that has to do with the Wesleyan quadrilateral. The Wesleyan quadrilateral is scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Scripture tradition, reason, and experience. These are four critical elements for making decisions for United Methodists. We don't check our minds at the door. No, God wants us to use all of what we've been given to explore the text, to be in relationship with one another, to be faithful disciples. We do not leave our minds at the door. God uses all of what we have. We believe that God spoke long ago, and continues to speak. We believe that it is important to consider tradition when we read scripture. It is necessary to use reason, and we recognize that each of us has a unique set of experiences that shape us and our view of the Bible and our view of the world. I greatly value this important contribution of the Wesleyan tradition, the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Friends, the Bible is filled with stories of people searching for hope. And within the pages of the Bible, there are songs and sonnets. There are prayers poems and parables. We do not believe in the Bible. It's not this magical tool. We believe in the God to whom the Bible points. We look to the Bible. We study and read the Bible. And we know God better. And we know Christ better because of it the scripture is our sacred text and in it we get a glimpse of God's heart God gave us this book to help this messy infallible broken world better understand who God is and how God relates to us and in these pages we gain a clearer understanding of Jesus Christ and his desire to give his all to redeem this messy and broken world to redeem us This Bible, this book, it's God's story. And it's my story, and it's your story, and it's an ongoing, beautiful story of God's love and grace. Now, I did want to just return before I end to that camping trip when I was 14. Cheryl, by the way, ended up marrying a fine United Methodist man, and they're very active members of their local church. But that book of Revelation, that night... It made me want to understand why I was so scared. And it prompted me to do some study so that I wouldn't have the heck scared out of me again. Now, I recognize now that those strange and grotesque images are apocalyptic literature. And they have much to teach me and to teach us about how to live in this oftentimes troubled world. I also now recognize that it was written in about the year 95 A.D. after Christ's birth during a time when Christians were being mightily persecuted by the Romans. And now I recognize that it is a letter written to the churches in Asia Minor to encourage them to keep the faith and to have hope for the future. There's a lot of truth in the Bible if we take the time to study it and apply it to our lives. In one of Charles Schultz's comic strips, Peanuts, one of the characters says, I think I have made one of the first steps in unveiling the mysteries of the Bible. I have started to read it. (laughs) Hmm. To those of us who have never read the Bible, to those of us who have read it from front to back, and to all of us in between, my charge to you this day is the same. Open up the scriptures. And let the mystery of this inspired word draw you into a closer relationship with God and to Jesus, his son, who is the very exact imprint of his being. And as you do, you will find in these pages that this ongoing story of love and grace has a part in there for you and that this is your story and mine as well. So let me try to recap in 60 seconds. Okay, I think it's 65. I'm sorry. Here we go. We do not believe in the Bible, but rather we believe in God to whom the Bible points. We believe the Bible is inspired by God and we take it very seriously, but not literally. The inspired word is the story of God's action in history, or the progressive revelation of God as understood by a particular people that culminates in the life and teaching of Jesus The Bible is a collection of 66 books, like a library. It is written by a number of different people over a period of about a thousand years, and it is amazingly diverse. The Bible is long and sometimes messy and confusing. The Bible is filled with stories of people searching for hope. How do we as United Methodists interpret these pages? We don't check our minds at the door. We value the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Recognizing the need for scripture and tradition, reason and experience to inform our decisions. We encourage you to do your own study of these sacred texts so that they will navigate you through all of life's ups and downs. You will find hope and find truth, comfort and challenge. Let us pray. Oh gracious God, we realize there is so much more to be said about these sacred texts. This is just a snippet, just a bit, but it is truth. It is truth for our living, and I pray that you would help us, each one, want to read them more and let the truths of the scriptures fill our lives and let us share that hope and love with the world that so desperately needs it. We ask this in your name, amen.